Pod, I'm Chris Hewitt and welcome to a very special edition of the Empire Podcast in association with Picture House. And it's one we'd rather not be recording at all, truth be told, because it is a tribute to the late, great Chadwick Boseman. And almost a month after he passed away, it's still quite surreal to say those words. He had only made a handful of films by the time of his tragic and untimely passing at the age of just 43, but he left a huge cultural legacy. And both Empire and Picture House have been celebrating that legacy. Our next issue, which is out this week, is a tribute to the great man. And we are currently halfway through a special Picture House season of Chadwick Boseman films. So we thought it would be a great idea to marshal our resources, no pun intended, and to get together some of Empire and Picture House's finest and have a chat about the man and his work. So joining me from the Empire side, we have Helen O'Hara. Hello. And Amon Warman. Hello. And from Picture House, we have the wonderful, I don't know why I didn't say wonderful you two guys, I just thought it was... In- <laughs> oh, thanks, yeah. Outrageous. It was implied. Your wonderfulness was implied. Um, but we must be nice to our guests, obviously. And from Picture House, we have the wonderful Sam Clements. Hello. How are you? Very good. Thank you for having me. Uh, Picture House podcast just returned, Sam. Yes, uh, yeah, we've been doing the Pitch House podcast for about 11 years, and the lockdown where the cinemas were closed caused our longest break in, in history. Um, so we're back now after after sort of stopping around March, because um, films are actually being released in cinemas, and we thought we should podcast <laughs> about them. <laughs> what a madness, honestly. They came up with that idea, releasing films in cinemas, honestly. Never catch on. <laughs> Some people are still on the fence. <laughs> <laughs> this is true. Uh, if you want to listen to the first episode of the glorious return of the Picture House podcast, it features Helen and Amon as well. Uh, I must have been busy. Double duty, man. I must have been checking my phone when that call came through. Hmm? Uh, check your spam folder. I think there's maybe maybe something in 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 there. Maybe. Okay. I don't know. Yeah. All right. Okay. Good excuse, Sam. Well done. <laughs> Nicely done. Uh, but yes, we are here to talk about the the wonderful Chadwick Boseman, and the idea behind this podcast is very very simple. Uh, that each one of us is going to choose a Chadwick Boseman film that we particularly like or love. Uh, we've got together beforehand to make sure we're not all choosing Black Panther. Don't worry, it's all, it's all fine. And we are going to talk about those movies in turn. And at the end, we're going to talk about some of the ones we haven't mentioned as well. Because as I say, he didn't make many films. He was a bit of a late bloomer in terms of making movies. He was... Up until roughly his early to mid thirties, he was largely involved in theater, and he was making he made some TV shows here and there. But cinema was something that wasn't exactly high on his agenda. Uh, he made a couple of movies. He made uh, the Kill Hole, but it really all began for him with Forty Two. That's what brought him to Marvel's attention. Got him cast as T'Challa in the MCU going forward. He made the likes of Get On Up as well. And it's fair to say he was a star that burned very, very brightly indeed. Amon, I know that his death really affected you. Uh, a month on, how do you feel about it? It's still hard to process. It's still uh, even hard to sort of look at a photo of him for long periods of time, to be honest. Um, he did have a massive impact on myself and just on the black culture. Um, black Panther was, uh, a film that really was a landmark moment, uh, for not just the cinema, but black culture at large. You think about just 
in terms of celebrating Africa uh, and the entire diaspora of Africa and how important that film was to doing so. And Chadwick was the figurehead of that movie and of that movement. And he, the, the way he carried himself, uh, not just in the film, but even, but, but, but while promoting the film, uh, really just exemplified the best of us in many ways. So, uh, to, to lose, uh, an icon who played icons, but an icon in his own right like that. So shockingly, so suddenly it's, it was very hard to take. Have you gone back? I mean, you say you find it hard to even look at pictures of them. Did you go back and revisit movies for this or have I you not have gone not there yet? I have not gone back and visited any movies. I am going to try and watch Black Panther on Thursday because Thursday is uh, the Nigerian Independence, Independence Day. Uh, and my mum and my sis, we've said that we're going to try and uh, watch Black Panther to honour him on that day. So we'll see how that goes. I imagine it'll be quite difficult. Indeed. But he had such a seismic impact on movies in the short time that he made movies and left a huge legacy. And that's why we have dedicated our next issue to him. And Sam, I imagine that's why Picture House are dedicating this this mini season of films to him as well. Yeah, absolutely. We, you know, we loved playing his films and we loved hearing the feedback from customers. That's the nice thing about working in the cinema. You get to hear what audiences, real life audiences think of movies. And I know with Black Panther, so many customers were saying it was their first Marvel film. And it was so nice to hear, you know, like 20 films or whatever into that series that was bringing new audiences in still who had never seen any of the other films over the past 10 years. Um, And yeah, he just left a huge kind of a huge we were so excited to see the next Chadwick Boseman film you know Mm. Um, so left a huge hole in in all of our hearts and I think you know as you know cinema you have to be careful I think about who you choose to tribute because I mean you could be doing it all year long and and not uh, you know actually show your main program and and also you don't ever want to be sort of seen to be like cashing in or anything Mm -hmm. Um, and with this one it was such a tragic death and he was so young, but it was also linked to a very real disease. And we thought actually what we could do by doing this season is, you know, raise awareness um, of this illness of colon cancer and actually work with a charity uh, to help out. So it was really important for us to find the right charity. And we're working with a charity called Fortitude, who are quite small. They're they're UK based, but they specialize in colon cancer. Um, So money from these tickets will directly help people with the same disease that sadly took Chadwick from us. And Helen, how do you feel yeah. about now that you know, some time has passed? Yeah, well, I did go back and watch uh, some of his films uh, recently, and and it and it is kind of well, it just feels feels unbelievable when you're watching him actually, because he's he's got so much energy and so much presence and so much life. It doesn't feel real when you're watching his films that he could possibly be gone already. It doesn't it doesn't seem plausible, you know. Um, it's a ridiculous notion, frankly. And that was that was the overwhelming feeling, kind of going going back to some of these uh, in in anticipation of this. I'm also really excited, is perhaps the wrong word, but I really want to see his last film, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. Mm. I mean, the mm. the play had nothing but incredible reviews on Broadway. I didn't see it; it wasn't uh, wasn't one of those. But I'm so hyped for that film already, and and you know, now that it's going to be kind of his swan swan song, that kind of gives it an extra weight and an extra impact. So. But, but yeah, it, it just doesn't seem real when you watch him. It really doesn't. I've gone back and revisited a couple of his movies since. And uh, yeah, he had such vitality as well mm. and such, uh, such figure and such purpose uh, uh, as an actor. And it seems 
It's so sad uh, mm. in terms of what he would have made and what yeah. he would have gone on to make. Obviously, Black Panther 2 and, and various movies in the MCU, I'm sure, as well. But you also get the sense that he was, you know, he was using his Black Panther stardom to open other doors and to Absolutely. branch out into other areas. And whether those areas were, you know, things as simple as a cop thriller like 21 Bridges or something like Ma Rainey's Black Bottom uh, mm-hmm. or something like The Five Bloods. Um, you know, it, I, I feel that we've we've um, we've been robbed of some incredible films down the line uh, and some incredible performances down the line. And not just performances, but also you know, potentially writing as well. I mean, he was a writer, yeah. um, playwright. So, you know, maybe I don't know if somebody else can take up some of his writing and maybe adapt that in future. I don't know if any of it is suited for the screen or if it's very much stage-based, but I would love to see some of the stuff he wrote um, mm. because he was a very, very smart man. And, and it would be fascinating to see what he had to say in that sense, you know, not just sort of um, through the lens of other people, but in his own words would be wonderful. So let's get into it now. Let's talk about the films we have chosen. And Amon, you have chosen Black Panther. I have. What is it about that film that stands out for you? Well, it's just, I'll start this answer by sort of talking about Civil War, because that's the first time we saw Chadwick Boseman in that role. And from the moment he first appears on screen, there's an innate sense of just dignity in the way he carries himself. When, when you think about the so the great castings in the MCU. You think about uh, Robert Downey Jr. You think about Chris Evans. So much of the characters of who they play, they already have innately, and it was mm. the same thing with Chadwick. Um, it's very hard to when you're acting out dignity and the way you sort of carry yourself in a regal like way. It's hard to sort of you know do that and not not make it feel like an act unless you already embody, already have some of that innately flowing through you. And I think Chadwick definitely had that. Um, that's the thing that really sort of, you know, jumps out at me whenever I see him on screen as that character. Wasn't there something in very early in his career where he he turned down a role because it traded in, you know, basically racist stereotypes? Um I think he turned on, I think it was All My Children, the soap opera in the US. And that would yep. be a big deal for a young actor uh, in 2003. So this 17 years ago. Uh, and he turned down the role because he thought, you know, they were basically dodgy. And But that goes to what you're talking about, that dignity and that just self-belief, I yeah. think. Yeah. And gravitas. Um, yes. Just, it's just everything you, you would expect and want to see from a fictional, uh, a ruler of a fictional African nation. Um, so, so that's the thing that jumps out at me. And yeah, again, just uh, the way he carried himself, not only in that film, but on the press tour. Um, he, he, there were so many memorable speeches he gave um, that not only sort of, you know, were perfect for <laughs> the character, but elevated his co-stars as well. And we've spoken about uh, previously how uh, Black Panther is a hero by committee, uh, and uh, how sort of uh, the people around him play sort of crucial roles. Again, the the merging between the role and Chadwick himself and the people around him, mm. it felt you know as one. Uh, so, so those are the things I guess that really jump out at me when I think of Chadwick in that role, and it's definitely his defining role and the impact that he had on the culture. Uh, is not going to be forgotten anytime soon. It's 
really fascinating as well watching Black Panther uh, uh, also because of the choices that he made. I mean, we've talked about this in the podcast before. Mm. The fact that he did play T'Challa in such a calm, understated way mm-hmm. with that voice, which is very definitely a choice. It's a, it's a oh, choice yeah. of voice. There's, there's no question about that. It's really fascinating, especially in comparison to the flashier performance of Michael B. Jordan as Killmonger, for example. And it would have been all too easy for him to be completely overwhelmed by that performance. but. He's not. He has a regal quality uh, to the performance, which really stands out. And uh, and because he plays it so quiet, every time the child speaks, you listen. I think it would have been easy as well for that regal quality to have been distancing in a way. But the way he plays it, and it's also a testament to the writing, but in addition to the way he plays it, but it's very relatable in many ways. You think about him getting dunked on by Shuri repeatedly. You think about him being tongue-tied when it comes to matters of love. All of these are relatable things that only sort of make him more endearing to the audience. Mm. So yeah, again, it's, it's both the writing and the performance, but the fact that he not only sort of when it comes to this fictional black icon, but with the real life icons that he played, he finds the essence of these people and brings out their humanity. These guys are not just, you know, the heroes that we have come to know and love over the years, he really sort of, you know, brings us into their interior thinking. Um, and that's mm. just a sign of really great acting. I think that's so true. I think the you're right about Black Panther as well. His, his relationships are crucial to T'Challa's um, multifacetedness, mm-hmm. if that's a word, which I'm not sure it is. Um, but Because he, he has that regal quality, he has that reserve, he has that sort of authority, but he also listens to people and values people and respects people. So it's, it never comes across as arrogant. It never comes across as, um, you know, reveling in power for its own sake. Power is just something he has and he knows he has it and nobody needs to worry about that. <laughs> and now he can mm-hmm. just get on with listening to other people and figuring out how best he uses power. And I think that's such a good role model for any, you know, world leaders out there. <laughs> and not enough of them listen to it, but you know, it'd be Whoever great. Whatever could it? you mean, Helen? <laughs> <laughs> Literally all of them. Literally every single one. And Chris, you mentioned the voice, and I think that's an important point because even from Civil War, you know, he fought for that African accent. Mm-hmm. Um, because he wanted to he understood that with Wakanda being what it was, which was this uncolonized uh, African nation, he would need to speak with an African dialect because if he didn't, then that wouldn't be how people from an uncolonized nation would talk. And from the beginning, he fought for that, uh, which is just Mm. a sign that, again, Marvel cast really well. It's really great to hear those stories, sort of behind the scenes stories of him being so invested in these roles. Like You get the sense that as a man, he doesn't take on anything lightly. And, you know, it's, it's, it feels like what actors who are in the theatre would do, you know, he's bringing that stage training to a Marvel production yeah. <laughs> and, and having these actor decisions, you know, making decisions as an actor and not waiting for the producers to kind of like send the orders down the ranks. Mm-hmm. Mm. I, I think, again, we've said this in our, on our podcast in, in, in previous years, but, you know, it had been very easy to see a version of Black Panther where... As as Amon alluded to, T'Challa has grown up in the States or grown up in England and had an English accent or an American accent. And the fact that he and Ryan Coogler fought for that and fought to retain its uh, its unique Africanness is 
really, really wonderful to see. Yeah. And also the flashes of humor that we do see in Black Panther, where his relationship with, with Shuri comes to the fore, really added something to the character as well. Because frankly, when we see him in Civil War, his dad's just been killed. He's, you know, he's got the weight of the world on his shoulders. It's not a laugh riot, Civil War, uh, as, as fun as it can <laughs> be at times. Yeah. And certainly his side of the story in Civil War is not fun. He doesn't get to do the fun Spider-Man stuff. He doesn't yeah. get to do the fun Ant-Man stuff. He's got, he's got a couple of you know, bits of humour. Um, okay, like, well, like, well, where are we? Like Clint, <laughs> <laughs> like Clint, Clint is like introducing himself and oh, yeah, I don't like, care. I don't care, uh, which is I mean, great. It's, it's, um, it's not a side splitter, is it, Amon? <laughs> I, I was laughing. <laughs> you should sit next to me in Marvel films. It's the way you there's tell the them. Bit I was, there was a bit I was on set of. Um, I don't know if I've mentioned I was on set of Civil War, but I was. And um, there's the bit where um, he, one of his bodyguards, uh, one of the Dora Milaje, also almost has a face off with Black Widow. And he's yes. like, much as I'd love to see it, yeah. yes. like this is not the time. So there's, there's humor. There you go. There That's is humor. There you go. There we go. We got it. We got it. Timestamp that shit. <laughs> At one hour, seven minutes, and 35 seconds, there's a kind of joke. At one but point. you're right, you're right. He, he carries a lot of the emotional weight in that film. So He's in that film for like 20 minutes, and for me, he was the best part of it. That arc is so good, and the, the decision he makes with Zemo at the end is mm -hmm. just so perfect for that character. That mercy that he shows it's not a characteristic which a lot of heroes period um sort of display but he, you know mm. we, we see it then we see it after the final fight in black panther when he sort of you know honors killmonger's last wish to sort of give him that mm. view of wakanda to, <laughs> to the point where he's even offering to save him uh before he passes that's yeah. not something which many heroes do but the wisdom mm. the mercy are so sort of perfect, perfect for that character, and the way uh, Chadwick plays it really is very impactful and very, very effective. I think I read somewhere after he died as well that he was instrumental in that Killmonger line happening. Yeah, maybe not in writing it necessarily, but in making sure that a line that political, that impactful, could make its way into and you know, and you know, I love these movies, but you know into a Marvel movie, into a mainstream blockbuster, which is pretty amazing. He really yeah. did have a handle on T'Challa and what T'Challa meant and you know, the impact of the character. You know, we were all in cinemas watching Infinity War for the first time post Black Panther. And whenever Captain America basically says, you know, we'll go to Wakanda and then the, 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 the drums kick in mm. leading up to you know, Ludwig Goransson's <laughs> score. It's, it was amazing, and people started losing their shit even before we, we cut to Wakanda. And, you know, I think it was the Russos told me that early on they had the, the audience, they had the, the drums coming in a little bit later. And so the audience lost their shit so much in test screenings that they drowned out the first 25 <laughs> seconds of what came afterwards. So they had to bring it forward a little bit. Um, and that, that's testament to the impact uh, of, yeah. of T'Challa and these movies. Yeah. And also the fact that, yes, indeed, we're going to talk about the portal scene, that they made T'Challa the first person who comes through the portals in Endgame. I know it's not you know, established in a very long period on screen, but I think there is a really strong connection actually between him and Cap. There seems to be a really strong mutual respect. And so I think there's that sense of like, who else could come through the portal first? And Cap would be like, 
okay, now I really have backup. Like, you know, Bucky, God bless him. There, there's been issues there with how reliable he is. You he's know, got a Falcon, gun and an arm. That's all he's got. Yeah. <laughs> hey, it's an arm made by Shuri. Thank you very much. <laughs> Watch yourself. But like Falcon as well, like incredible backup, but basically a human. But T'Challa, when he comes through, it's like, okay, now I've now I've got some real backup. That's a sense of the cavalry has arrived, mm. um, not in a colonial sense. Oh God, that's a so many poorly chosen words. That's oh, uh, but no, but like that's that's who you want to see, isn't it? Because he mm. comes with a literal army and probably a Hulk. You know, which is <laughs> it's it's the twofer. Um, and and yeah, I think I think it makes perfect perfect sense that he'd be the first one through. And it's also uh, there's a, th- that little nod that he gives. That sense of mm. I've got this now. It's almost like yeah. if Cap sat out the rest of the battle, he almost could. Like he, he he'd almost be like, he has this now. That's fine. I can sit down. Obviously, being happy doesn't. Out. But yeah, <laughs> yes. but there is yeah. almost there is a little sense of that in that in that nod. I always feel. Mm. I think also um, in terms of that portal scene, the incredible scene. He we should talk about that. <laughs> Let's talk about portals. He uh, whatever as a filmmaker, you know, for the Russos as, as filmmakers. Whatever character would get that response from the audience, like they know that you know it, it, people are so excited for this character. Like if it was any other character, you wouldn't have whooping in the cinema like you did with Black Panther. You know, I, I think that's just very good at them knowing sort of the property and knowing their audience so well that mm. they can, like a conductor, get a huge response if they put him there. <laughs> because at that point in the film, you kind of need it. <laughs> I don't know. I think if the portals had opened and Cap had turned to his left, and then we had seen someone walk through, and the and the silhouette gradually resolves into a into a figure, and we realise, oh my god, he's wearing moccasins with no socks. It's Sonny Birch. It's oh, Walter boy. Goggles. Jesus it's <laughs> Sonny Birch from Man and the Water. Oh, he's man. here to save us all with some Literally. low-level con tricks. Does in- anyone else even remember Sonny Birch's name apart from you? I just I'm keeping, keeping, keeping him alive, man. In, instead of the Ludwig Garantzen score, you would just play the sad trombone sound effect. <laughs> theme from Sonny Birch. <laughs> 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 oh my god, that would have been a very different film. But yeah, you're you're absolutely <laughs> much right. Shorter. Yeah, much shorter, much shorter film as Thanos effortlessly wins. <laughs> Truly would have been the end game. Um, but yeah, it's it's great just the way that his silhouette just gradually resolves, and you know from the, the minute he walks on. And yeah, that little nod. And yeah, I've got this. I've got your back. It's absolutely tremendous. Um, but the the thing that Amon first said was. He talked about dignity and how how difficult it is to portray dignity on the big screen. And it's something he did actually in 42. I had the pleasure of speaking to Brian Helgeland, who was the writer and director of that film for the issue that's that's coming out very, very soon. And he spoke about that. He spoke about the fact that, you know, Chadwick Boseman played Jackie Robinson. That was his big breakthrough role. Uh, came out in 2013. And Jackie Robinson was also a person who had to endure incredible racism Mm -hmm. as the first uh, black baseball player in the major leagues. And he had to endure that with grace and with dignity, and he had to constantly turn the other cheek. And Brian Helgeland said that, uh, you know, he does in the movie, he he does it with incredible, you know, uh, forbearance and incredible dignity. And that all came in his words, from Chadwick, that Chadwick shares all these qualities 
with Jackie Robinson and he wasn't so much acting as he was just tapping into some sort of essence of Jackie Robinson yeah. that was already inherent within him. And speaking of 42, Sam, it's your choice, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I um, When we were talking about doing this podcast and also doing this, the season of the films at Pitch House, this was the one that I hadn't seen and I really, really wanted to. I, I have to admit, I totally missed it coming out. Baseball, not a big sport over here and <laughs> definitely not a big sport for me. Um, although I do love, you know, things about baseball, like uh, A League of Their Own, the Penny Marshall film and that Naturally. great Simpsons <laughs> episode, Homer and the Bat. Um <laughs> But uh, this was a real discovery for me. I, I enjoyed um, settling into this and then watching a brand new, for me, Chadwick Boseman performance um, here. So yeah, it was, it was kind of curious. I think um, what you said, Chris, there uh, about you know the, the, this character is going through so much in his professional life and his personal life, as well as society at large, and he represents so much for so many people in this film. Um, there's a really great line with the owner of the team, Branch Rickey, who's played by Harrison Ford, in some reasonably good prosthetics um <laughs> they make you go who's that guy he sounds just like harrison ford and then and then it sort of clicks um but uh the character has a line brent tricky says um to jackie robinson when he recruits him for the major league um he says no i want a player who's got the guts to not fight back and and that whole film is about him undergoing so much pressure and, and stress and and he wins by not fighting back in this film, uh, which is, I guess, quite different to Black Panther <laughs> in that respect. Um, but he does it so well. You know, he's carrying so much weight on his shoulders uh, in this film, and you know, a lot of it as well without any dialogue. You know, you mm -hmm. see a lot of this on the on the baseball diamond um, with uh, you know just with his face, just you know, whilst he's trying to hit a ball. But mm -hmm. um, it's his performance is is so good um, at kind of conveying all of that uh, that stuff. It gives the audience a lot of room to empathise with him. I think. Mm. I, th I think as well, like you know, he was still a fairly new actor. He'd made a couple of films you know, either small films or small roles. And then now he's the lead playing mm. an American icon, Jackie Robinson, opposite Harrison Ford, you know, in a big film. I mean, I know it wasn't big over here, but it was a big, big hit in the States and it was meant to be a big hit in the States. And again, I think that that intelligence that he has, that self-confidence that he has, and that sense of purpose, you know, something that he he obviously talked about himself and that was widely quoted um, in the wake of his passing, that sense of purpose that he had in his life, I think really carried him through this film because it must have been just a terrifying prospect for for still a fairly young actor, even at that point, you know? Absolutely. The thing, the scene which pops out in my mind when I think of 42, which was my first Chadwick Boseman film, what the, the scene that pops out is when he sort of has a moment to himself and just expresses the rage, having to keep all this rage bottled up. Um, and the way he sort of charts that, you could see, you could see it building and building and building and building as the film goes on. And I love that the film gave us that moment uh, where he did sort of, you know, break down essentially and sort of, you know, break his back in anger because, mm. you know, so with so many of these films, you, that's not a moment that you see, but, but it's definitely a moment which I'm sure uh, Jackie Robinson uh, experienced and felt. Um, and I, you know, I'm just, I'm glad that the, the film gave us that moment and Chadwick acted the hell out of it. Interesting enough, that, that was his that was his audition piece as well. Really? As it was one of the pieces that all actors who were auditioning for the role had to had to do. But Helgeland told me that 
pretty much every actor did it last. They took a run up to it. And uh, Chadwick came in and did it first and nailed it. And he was the second person that Helgelin saw. And after wow. that, he was like, well, I don't really know why we're even bothering looking at other people because that's that's him. He's just walked in. But I guess we have to look at other people <laughs> because they're here. And okay, okay, thanks thanks for coming in. I'm not really paying attention. <laughs> 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 um, those are my words, not Brian Helgelin's words, by the, by the way. But uh, yeah, he found him right, right from the off. And uh, yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, that comes at the end of... You know, it's really uncomfortable to watch. There's a scene in the movie where Alan Tudyk, playing perhaps the biggest two dickhead of his career, um, <laughs> is the real life former manager of a. I think that's oh, who is it? It's Pittsburgh, maybe, but it's a mm. baseball team that you know, that, uh, that Jackie Robinson and the Brooklyn Dodgers are playing, and he unleashes this torrent of racist hatred. This diatribe is, you know, just epithet after epithet at Jackie Robinson and Jackie Robinson, you know, all through his life, you know, all the way through through the movie, we see him, you know, suffer these microaggressions and just plain macroaggressions, you know, you know, people not letting him use a bathroom because of the color of his skin or bumping him and his wife from a flight because his wife had the temerity to use a bathroom uh, that was reserved for white folks. And all this, all through the movie, he's told to turn the other cheek, look the other way, smile, grin and bear it, you know, do your talking on the on the baseball mound. Don't do it, you know, don't fight back, don't give him the pleasure. Uh, and, you know, he he's on the receiving end of this torrent from this character played by Alan Tudyk. And maybe all the microaggressions and macroaggressions he must have suffered in his career as well up until that point, they must have all, that must have all filtered into his performance, that moment in the tunnel where he absolutely loses it uh, and is comforted by Branch Ricky and basically told to, you know, use it, channel it, mm. go back out there and use the anger. It's an incredible moment though, but I just wonder what was going through his head and what contributed to, to that moment, to that performance. Alan Tudyk said that they didn't. Him and Chadwick Boseman did not hang out whilst making the film in order to sort of not have, you know, any sort of chemistry. And 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 again, that feels like the conversation we heard, you know, on the set of Civil War. You know, actually, like as actors making these decisions, we're not going to hang out before our scenes. You know, we want to be have this weird, you know, kind of disconnect between our performances, which is what you need. I didn't catch the name of the character Alan Tudyk plays, but when I was watching the film, I just wrote, he plays a very bad man. <laughs> <laughs> Good point, well made. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think this is character name actually, Jeff Badman. <laughs> I really like um, the relationship between uh, Jackie Robinson and his, and his wife, played by Nicole yes. Bahari. There's a few scenes where it's almost like she is telepathically sending strength to Jackie while she while he's on the field. Just the, the charisma of both of those performers that can make you absolutely believe that that sort of thing is probably taking place. And Nicole Bahari is, you know, I've said very recently on this podcast how much of a fan I am of hers. <laughs> um, they're, they're both very good together. I just think it's uh, as, as someone, you know, his, where he was in his career at this point, you know, carrying his first film as the lead, to be able to act in, you know, really quite intense scenes with an uh, actor as big as Harrison Ford and be the bigger attraction um, is is so good. I think Harrison Ford's very good at kind of dialing down in this film, but mm -hmm. 
those scenes are they're often one-on-one and often quite shot in very long takes i think the tunnel scene you were talking to chris about chris is actually just shot in that one take from quite far away um and you get to see two it feels like you know two actors um in their prime really going for it and and they're quite meaty scenes they wouldn't be out of place on a stage um and i i got a real kick of of seeing harrison ford i guess kind of upping his game he has been known to dial it in sometimes (laughs) and uh <laughs> and I feel like Chadwick probably spurred that on. You know, he's mm. a really young and and and, and quite proactive actor, uh, and it's nice to see it kind of rubbing off on on other people on the set. Mm. And again, Jackie Robinson's a very very quiet guy. He's, you know, there, there's a lot of T'Challa in him. He's he's quiet. He's dignified. Um, we spend a lot of time with him. There, there's not a, again a huge ton of humor in in him or in the movie. But just trying to imagine. I was just trying to cast my mind back to watching this film for the first time in 2013 with this basic, essentially newcomer on the big screen mm-hmm. and being massively impressed by him. Um, someone who has, you know, gravitas and grace and dignity and power and all those things. He's an intentionally watchable presence in this movie as well. And you can see why he caught the eye of, of Marvel in this. And also, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, that he this led to him getting James Brown in Get On Up mm. oh, as this- well. This was basically where you know his yeah. his leading man career really really started, I think, and it was uh, like it was a, a hit in the U.S. as well, which didn't hurt either. It showed that he had box office draw. I think a lot of people, like all of us, I think, were struck by this and and decided to look out for whatever this guy was doing next. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's definitely. And if you don't know now, you know performance. Um, <laughs> but yeah, just think about the balls you have to have to go from Jackie Robinson to James Thank Brown. Thank God you finished that sentence. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, Amal makes a very good point. Think about the, uh, the courage. <laughs> to go from Jackie Robinson to James Brown in the space of a single year. I mean, there, there's mm. moments, you know, that the opening scene, they've got uh, some prosthetics on him to look like older James Brown. He's got the walk down perfectly. And in that scene with the wig and the uh, something in his cheeks and, you know, the walk, you're like, okay, he looks a little bit like James Brown. For most of the film, he couldn't look less like James Brown and you don't care. He sounds exactly <laughs> like him. He moves like him. The dancing is unbelievable. Yeah. Um, and and he, he, he gets the kind of the essence of the guy again. He gets the humanity, he gets the complexity um, and doesn't shy away from that. I think the, the film, you know, leaves out a few little bits of, of Brian's backstory, but it doesn't, you know, it doesn't gloss over the fact that he did mm-hmm. some awful things as well as creating some of the best music the world has ever heard. And and I think that's it's that determination to try and run the gamut that I think really sets the, the, the sort of the Bozeman biopic, if that's a genre, apart from some of the rest. <laughs> yeah. Now, you mentioned that first scene that you see him in. The dialogue which he has in that scene, lesser actors would not be able to make that work, especially for no. the first scene in the movie. He's talking about somebody taking a shit on his toilet. That's, his, that's, that's the introductory scene of James Brown in Get On Up. And Kevin Feige's going, that's my T'Challa right there. <laughs> but it absolutely works. Within like a minute, he's just, he's so magnetic that, you know, yeah. you're just immediately drawn to uh, his portrayal of that character. Mm. And, you know, we, he, he still has sort of the, the qualities which we've seen from his other performances, but... This, above all else, the amount of swagger 
uh, rightfully so when you're playing James Brown, that Chadwick exudes in this role is just immense. And again, it's there from the opening scene. It's great. Yeah. And determination as well. I mean, you know, he, he had different battles to fight to Jackie Robinson, um, but he had, they, they weren't dissimilar in all ways, you know, and, and this is not so much a film that deals with the racism that, that James Brown faced directly in his career. That's It's there in the background, certainly, and throughout, but it's more about him taking control of his career as an artist, which is something that everybody in the 1960s, 1950s, 1960s onwards had to do. And, and it shows how innovative he was in that sense. It shows how determined he was in that sense to own his own kind of uh, career, um, to fight for his own take on his shows, the gate on his shows, all this kind of stuff mm-hmm. that other artists didn't have the gumption to do. They didn't have the, well, balls to do. And, <laughs> uh, you know, and it's, and so I think it's good that it gets into that side of him. And, and even, you know, this film's kind of completely non-linear hopping about through his through his mm. uh, life story kind of works and and by showing you that kind of hard scrabble um upbringing that he had you understand why exactly James Brown would be very very pernickety about his band performing exactly as he wants you you understand where he's coming from when he is very concerned that he gets every cent owed to him because he knows exactly what it's like not to have any sense at all and i think it it really it all goes to the the portrait of the man again so yeah, I mean, for me, going from forty to to get on up, I think a lot of actors would just be concerned about you know playing two hugely important historical icons back to back. But I think for Chadwick Boseman at this point in his career, it's it's quite an appealing sort of thing to do. He gets to exercise a totally different set of muscles playing James Brown to to what he did with Jackie Robinson, and uh, God, it must have been quite. I mean, imagine being at the centre of that. It must be mm. so exciting for him as. An experienced actor, but you know, quite quite young in his sort of Hollywood leading man career at this point. Yeah, and interesting enough, even though it's a great film, none of us chose it as our number one choice. Uh, Amon's gone for Black Panther. Sam's obviously gone for Forty Two. Uh, so it's good to get to talk about it. I, I have to say, because I'm going to talk about my first choice now. We're going to finish off with with Helen because my first choice is Twenty One Bridges, and <laughs> I just really like this film, guys. It's a really solid cop thriller with a, a very, very good Chapik Bosma performance at its centre. And, you know, it feels, you know, as ever with a lot of these things, it feels very, very timely and very relevant now. But uh, this film, I think, got overlooked a little bit um, whenever it came out in the cinema last year, weirdly enough. It came out, it's only, it's only about a year and a half old. For my money, just a really, really good cop thriller of the type that they don't make anymore, we keep being told. Yeah. Now, one of the things about Chadwick, which we haven't really said yet, but he is, no, actually, Helen, you have mentioned it um, now that I think of it, but he is a guy where you hear that he is attached to a project and because he's attached to a project, you want to see it, you're immediately interested in it. And he, you know, even if the film itself may not be all the way great, it's, it's, it's almost a guarantee that his performance will be very, very good in it. And 21 Bridges is definitely one of those movies. But in hindsight, it's a lot smarter and prescient that, than at least I gave it credit for when I saw it uh, sort of back when it was being released because it's a thriller. Mm. It's a film about a black cop holding other cops accountable long before it was cool to talk about it um, mm-hmm. with, with, with the regularity that we're talking about it in today's world. And so and there is something to be said for that, I think. Yeah. 
he's really solid in it. Mm, and it's right. one of those things that, it, in a way, it's almost a little hamstrung by its decision. It's not real time, obviously, but it's set over the course of a night. So we maybe don't get to know his character as much. There's a there's a nod to a backstory with a you know his father, also a cop, being murdered on the job. And that's the thing that inspires him to go into it. There's also this this element with his mother who is clearly suffering from sort of some sort of dementia, which is never really recalled again it's never really revisited so instead you have to know this character from his actions so this character Andre Davis is an, an upright upstanding cop who will do what it takes to to get the truth out there no matter how uncomfortable it is for his brother officers um, and if you if you have never seen it go and check it out it's on Prime Video right now that was actually how I discovered this. I it, it did come into cinemas, but I, I totally missed it in cinemas. And uh, I just sort of randomly watched it over over the summer. Like, oh yeah, that, that mm. film, I, I totally missed it. And then I had no expectations other than, you know, okay, Chadwick Boseman's starring, that's going to be cool. But yeah, it felt like a real like 90s kind of cop thriller throwback, which is one of my favorite types of films. <laughs> and uh, it's got a lovely runtime. It's not under 90 minutes, but it is it's under 100 <laughs> minutes. Wouldn't quite uh, qualify for your other podcast. But... <laughs> it's the 99 minutes or less film festival this one would have to be in. But it's a great it's, it's a great runtime for this type of film. You know, it's taut. There's no there's no fat on this film at all. And uh, God, I just I had such a kick. I mean, this was my number two film. I had such a good time watching this. And I think what I really liked about this was not having any expectations going in, but also he's not playing a historical figure in this one where you know you may have some sense of the person or a long-running character like T'Challa. This is a brand new Chadwick Boseman character that we get to bond with over 99 minutes and leaves mm. you wanting more at the end. It was my number one choice, I think, for a number of reasons. Uh you took my number one choice, being one of them, Sam. <laughs> <laughs> Mainly. Also, I didn't want to choose one of the MCU movies. I'm trying. I'm, I realize I'm wearing a Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Two T-shirt right now as we're recording this podcast. But I'm trying. I'm trying to be a better person. I'm trying to move away a little bit from the MCU. As I look at the Rocket Raccoon toy in the background. Oh God. Oh God. What have I done? What have I become? But I wanted to choose something that wasn't in the MCU. I, I really, really like Get On Up. But I'm a huge fan of cop thrillers. And you right Sam it is a bit of a 90s throwback in, in many ways it reminded me a little bit of The Negotiator as well and that's also about corruption in the police force I think this could have maybe done with perhaps some of the other characters being bulked up a little bit although I will say Stephen James and Taylor Kitsch as the quote unquote bad guys of the piece are really interesting because we meet them doing really really bad things and in the case of Stephen James's character in particular it it fills them in nicely and, mm-hmm. uh, and makes you very very aware that there's much more to them then at first meets the eye and that the real bad guys in this case may be someone else. See if you can spot the mystery bad guy when he or she shows up. (laughs) (laughs) It'll be a real shock. If memory serves, uh, Chadwick fought for Stephen James to come on board this movie, which is just, you know, speaks to the fact that he's trying to elevate uh, people behind the scenes as well, which I think is awesome. It's just really, really solid stuff. But also go see Civil War. <laughs> <laughs> it is the best film in the MCU. Oh. Is it though? I said what I said. It's one of them. <laughs> <laughs> I said what I said. <laughs> Did I stop? It's one of the seven best films in the MCU. It is. Today that, that's it's number true. one. That's true. It's fantastic. It's absolutely fantastic. Uh, but Helen, you chose mm. an interesting uh, number one. What is we your number one Chadwick Boseman pick? 
Well, no. oh my god, that's a completely just, different film, Helen. You got it completely wrong. <laughs> um, yeah, this is the. Um, it's kind of back in the biopic camp, except that it is a lot more focused than I think either of the other two big ones, um, in the sense that it focuses on a single case in Thurgood Marshall's career. Thurgood Marshall, of course, the first African American uh, justice on the U.S. Supreme Court, uh, a huge, huge figure um, in in American legal history. Um, one of the lawyers on the landmark on landmark cases like Brown versus Board of Education. He he did a huge amount. He was the you know he was uh, an inspiration to Ruth Bader Ginsburg. So you know very timely right now. But he was an absolute giant of the American legal scene. And what I think is a fascinating choice here is to not talk about any of those cases, to not talk about any of his landmark <laughs> cases, to not talk about his time on the Supreme Court. None of that. No, no. This is about quite an early case that he tried. A relatively minor, and I, I, I say relatively, murder case um, that was not one of his high-profile civil rights cases, but it does have all the same elements in it. It has this racist uh, assumption that if a white person accuses a black person of a crime, then, you know, in those days in the US, the black person was probably going to be railroaded straight into jail. It's, it's, it's a it's very similar case. Today. Well, yes, it's a very similar case in many ways to the one at the heart of To Kill a Mockingbird. So, if you're a fan of, you know, just American legal cases on screen, it will it will have some memories of that for you. But what I think is incredibly powerful here is the fact that it goes against everything we expect of a legal drama and that we expect of a Thurgood Marshall movie. First of all, by having this small case, but also it's a case where he was not allowed to represent his client. He was not allowed to stand up in court and speak. So he had to act through a white surrogate and a Jewish white surrogate as well. And it's interesting, and I think that the nuance in this film does take into account the sort of allyships and commonalities between Jewish people and black people, and to some extent, women and black people. Because while the villain of the piece, if you like, or one of the villains of the piece, there are quite a few options. Mm -hmm. um, is the white woman who makes the accusation, who uses, you know, white woman's tears, white fragility against the defendant in this case. Th th also, kind of one of the heroes of the piece is a white woman and she's the foreman of the jury. And, and it's interesting that Bozeman's Marshall is the one who sees that character as she is, the one who sees that that character has the potential to be an ally, um, which all of the white men on the opposing side and even his... Um, his co-counsel completely missed. They they all think she's a white woman. She's going to be bad news for our 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 clients, and he's like, no, she stands up to authority. She's uh, she might be helpful, which indeed, in the end, spoiler, she is. But anyway, that's a minor thing. But I just think it's really interesting that the film has that kind of nuance in it that it allows you to see how complicated civil rights was, um, and yet at the same time how simple and how um, Marshall was absolutely clear on his mission in every single new town that he went to, in every single case that he went on, that he was sent all over the country, that he would turn up, stay with allies, you know, find some place to to lay his head, and then be thrown into a, a brand new challenge each and every time. Um, he was the NAACP's only lawyer at the time, and so he had an entire country to basically defend. Um, but he's so clear in his aims. He is so precise in his thinking that you kind of believe he would, and of course he did, change the world. I just think it's a, it's a stunning portrayal. And for a lawyer, it's, it's a real pleasure to watch because it's so clear-minded and clear-witted and, and 
intelligent without being showy about it. And I just think it's a brilliant film. Yeah, no, I really enjoyed this one because I like movies where there's clearly a dude who's the smartest guy in the room. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and Marshall is definitely that. Uh, oh, yeah. And I, <laughs> and I I just really enjoy movies like that. The scene which sticks out in my mind for this movie is when he's sort of tutoring uh, Josh, Josh Gad's character and he's using uh, the, the glass of water and mm-hmm. gradually sort of dirtying it up. It's just a really sort of clever bit of writing and I really enjoy uh, watching that scene. I think quite often he was the smartest guy in the room, wasn't he? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. you, yeah. you get that impression yeah. as well. And actually, that's one thing. Here he goes, going back to 21 Bridges again. There are moments in that where you see him working as a detective. He goes in and he's breaking down a crime scene and he's you know figuring things out and he's one step ahead. And you can see the intelligence in the eyes and you can see him figuring things out. And uh, as a big fan of, of detectives, detective fiction, I really love that. Mm. Uh, and also, I will say... Uh, as a bit of an exclusive head of the uh, the magazine hitting the stands on Thursday, rewatching Twenty One Bridges again for this just made me slightly wistful because one of the things Brian Helgeland told me was that he had teamed up with James Elroy to try and make LA Confidential two, and that it was going to be set in the 1970s, and that they were working on a script, and that Russell Crowe and Guy Pearce had agreed to come back, and in the third part, the sort of the Kevin Spacey role, if you will, the Jack Vincennes, mm. was going to be Chadwick Boseman. And wow. that they couldn't get it made, which I still find absolutely astonishing. So as I was watching 21 Bridges again and watching him play this you know, youngish black cop get caught in the middle of an overarching conspiracy and try and figure things out and using his his wits and his smarts to stay one step ahead of the conspirators. It made me think of what could have been with LA Confidential mm-hmm. too, as well. You know, I think of all the movies he could have made. I think of all the, you know, might he have, you know, might he have dipped his toes into comedic waters at some point? Who knows? Yeah. I mean, I haven't rewatched any of the films yet, but when you guys are rewatching these films, especially sort of, uh, the ones for the last four, four years or so. Mm. Do you ever sort of remember that this guy had cancer when he was doing all these crazy yep. sort of strenuous mm. work and insane stunts and just like, how? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because like, I, 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 I haven't rewatched 21 Bridges, but there's a lot of like running and stuff in that. He's, yeah. you know, yeah. he's going mm. full pelt. A big thing for him as well is not, like he has stunt doubles, of course, but on, on 42, he asked to reshoot a lot of the scenes that his stunt double had did because he wasn't he had studied Jackie Robinson and watched footage of Jackie Robinson and how he holds himself on when he's playing baseball and and he was watching the stunt double and he was like it's just not right this isn't my performance so he would go back and redo some of that stuff and I imagine that's something that he carried over to Marvel and Mm -hmm. then you know the action roles in 21 Bridges as well now that you said you remind me um there's a really good I think it's on I think it's on the Hollywood Reporter but uh, Tate Taylor did uh, a tribute piece to Chadwick, the director of Get On Up, mm. and he was saying how Chadwick never booked character uh, while they were shooting that <laughs> movie, uh, which I can absolutely believe. <laughs> did he call everybody like Mr. Taylor and so on and insist on being <laughs> Mr. Brown or Mr. Bozeman? I think there's, uh, I can't remember exactly what it is, but I think there was one, there's one scene in Get On Up where James Brown was like, where, where James Brown was like, are you trying to stop the funk? And I think he did that to take Taylor. 
at one point <laughs> so good. Uh, so good. In, in the shooting um because like it, I, i'd say just just go and read the piece because i don't want to misquote anything but but yeah it's it's a really mm-hmm. great read and and also the the new issue of empire which is out on thursday is uh, a large part of that is dedicated to Chadwick Boseman with tributes from Empire writers and uh, remembrances and tributes as well from people who worked with him and knew him best. People like Brian Helgeland and Sienna Miller and John Carney and people like that. Really, really heartfelt, touching tributes. And uh, we haven't even mentioned, I've just realised, The Five Bloods, which mm. for many people will be the most recent Chadwick Boseman film. And yes, it's a supporting role, but also... He brings, again, <laughs> dignity, gravitas, grace, mm-hmm. warmth to this role of Storm and Norman, without which the film just does not work. Yeah, he's kind of the, um, in a weird way, he's the MacGuffin of the film, but he's also just the uh, the magician. He's the Gandalf. He's the wizard who mm. sets them all on their roads. Uh, you know, it feels like it feels like the others, you know, are taught by him. They don't know how the world works almost until they they come to Vietnam and they, you know, they sort of learn at his feet. Um and it's it's fascinating when you have these older actors playing their younger selves because they're essentially sitting at the feet of a guy 20 years younger than them. Um <laughs> mm. and and yet you buy it you, because he just has that presence and that gravitas and and it just seems like oh yeah, obviously he he has something to say and and they should be listening. Yeah. It's also really interesting because you know Spike Lee's obviously playing with that iconography as well. And Absolutely, he's, he's cast T'Challa. He's yeah. cast Black <laughs> Panther in this movie, and you get that power and that yeah. vitality coming through from him. And they, they see Stormy Norman basically as a superhero, as a, some sort yeah. of living god. And Jackie Robinson and James Brown, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> I mean, Marshall, yeah. Yeah. Marshall yeah. And, yeah, and the bloke from Twenty One Bridges as well. That's why <laughs> <laughs> throw him in as well, just for good measure. <laughs> but, uh, but I, you know, I can I can wholeheartedly recommend that the, that issue of Empire, which is out on Thursday, and uh, as Sam was saying, the Picture House season has two more weeks to run, two more films to go. One of which is Marshall, I believe. Sam, is that right? This Sunday. Yeah, Marshall's on the 4th of October. And actually, I think like some of the other films we talked about, you know, these in the UK were not the biggest releases at the time mm. they came out. And and I, I, I'm sure a lot of people are yet to see Marshall on the big screen, would highly recommend it because it's such an engrossing film. Yeah. And we talked about how smart Chadwick Boseman is, but not how smartly dressed he is. He wears a three-piece suit <laughs> so well in Marshall. So well. Oh my <laughs> Go God. to Marshall to see the suits. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and then we finish with Black Panther on on the eleventh, uh, so they just felt the right place to See, end. If somebody had put that on the poster, Marshall would have made a whole lot more money. I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> it would have been you just going back again and again, yeah, going, exactly. uh, writing down, <laughs> sketching his suit, going. I'm trying, trying to make sure the lapels <laughs> on the big screen. <laughs> Wow, this is a this is a seventy five inch long suit. What the hell's going on? <laughs> We're in these massive trousers. <laughs> <laughs> and yes, and then the little known little scene, Black Panther rounds up the season. Sam said, um, "Is it any good? I haven't heard much about it, but uh, I understand it's pretty good." So that's on the eleventh as well. So go to the Picture House website if you want to go to that. Um, all Picture Houses, Sam, or just check your local Picture House. Uh, it's pretty much across the board. Um, we we thought we'd go big. Um, it's especially because we're partnering with the charity Fortitude and a pound from every ticket goes uh, straight to them uh, for their really valuable work uh, as well. So, you know, you're seeing a great film and you're doing a good thing. Absolutely. Yeah. Because it cannot be said enough. 
fuck cancer. Amen. Um, and that is it for our Chadwick Boseman tribute podcast. I uh, hope you've enjoyed it. The regular podcast is out every Friday, but until we meet again, until then, until that auspicious occasion, it is goodbye from Helen O'Hara. Toodaloo. It's goodbye from Sam Clements. Goodbye. And it's goodbye, of course, from Amon Warman. Peace. Peace indeed. And of course, it is goodbye from me. Thanks so much for listening. See you next time. Bye-bye.